following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
when he was at the table with them. When he was at the table, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled. They were saying, Is it true? The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled. They were frightened. Thinking they saw a ghost, he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt? in your mind look at my hands and my feet it is i myself touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see i have when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement he asked them do you have anything to eat they gave him a piece of boiled fish he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, This is what was written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Luke, the 24th chapter. He is risen indeed. The tomb is empty. He has sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He is the same today, yesterday, forever. It is his heart that we should be filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you a story. It's a story of Charles Price, early 1930s. He was raised in a Christian home and drifted away, but found his way back at the calling of the Lord in the Lifeline Mission. That was an outreach of the Methodist Church. He quickly became a pastor. He later became very well-known, a very powerful, passionate pastor with a heart of deep love. But he desired more. 
but when it was offered to him, he turned it aside, and and he went another direction. He went the direction of the modern church. He began to bring in all kinds of entertainment, all kinds of foolishness. But he had crowds coming. He was recognized as one of the most powerful preachers of his day. It was on the West Coast, California, Washington. This man was being called by the Holy Spirit out of his congregational mess. He was pastoring a very large and influential church. He writes, It all began when a good brother came running across the lawn outside the parsonage to meet me one certain summer day. His eyes were fairly dancing, and on his face was the joy of heaven itself. Clasping my hand, he said, Brother Price, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I gazed at him in amazement. Expressions like that were not unusual, were not usual in my church. We were like the majority of churches, rather cold and formal. Throwing back my head, I commenced to laugh. Where in the world have you been? I asked, still clasping my hand. He said, Hallelujah! I've been to San Jose. I've been saved, saved through the blood. I'm so happy I could just float away. It amused me. The more I ridiculed him, the more stern he became in his testimony. I then discovered that some more of the members of my church had contacted that meeting and were loud in their praises unto God, and slowly a bitter antagonism commenced to creep into my heart. They told me of a great campaign where thousands were being saved and thousands were being healed. I answered with my explanations of mob psychology and mental and physical reactions. Then one day, another man came along. His was the hand that first opened the door through which I started to experience what God had for me in his grace. His name was A.B. Forrester. Little did I dream when I talked when he talked with me that day that God was using him and his deep simplicity in speaking to my heart while still I rebelled, was openly antagonistic. It was the influence of Mr. Forrester that got me to change my mind. I declared I would attend the meeting after I had said I would never go. So I published an advertisement in the newspaper that I would preach the following Sunday on Divine Healing Bubble Explodes. I made my way down to San Jose, armed with pen and paper, to take notes. I intended to return the following Sunday and blow the whole thing to pieces. That was my frame of mind. My automobile rolled over the hundred miles that separated my hometown from San Jose, and as I neared the city, a strange feeling came over my heart. Across the street was a huge sign in startling, flashing letters. Amy Simple McPherson. Auspices William Kenny Toner. 
I could hardly believe my eyes. Dr. Toner had been pastor of the First Baptist Church in Oakland during the time I was a pastor at Calvary Church. We'd been friends, and more than once I'd seen him laughing at me as I was on the theater stage entertaining, and on more than one occasion had gone into the theater together. He was a splendid man, noble and kind, but I knew he was not the type of preacher to back old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival meetings. I thought he must be getting something out of it or that he'd done it to carry forward some policy. Going to the very edge of town, I found the huge tent seating approximately 6,000 people. To my utter amazement, it was packed and a great crowd was standing around the outside. The afternoon service was just over. So I, elbowing my way through and pushing myself forward to a place I could see, I noticed that the platform was empty. There was seemingly no program to hold the people. A tall, gaunt man stood by my side. I looked up into his face and I said, Pardon me, sir. What are all these people waiting for? He looked at me and then suddenly his face broke into a big grin and he literally shouted, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! They are waiting for the evening service. Well, I smiled back at him. (laughs) I smiled back at him. The afternoon service was over. And he said, they're waiting for the evening meeting. I said, well, that hallelujah business seems to be pretty general around here. It must be catching, I suppose. Something like the measles. His hand came down on my shoulder until he got a grip like a vice. And he said to me, this is a good place to get the hallelujah, my friend. You stick around here and the Lord will get you. I moved on and glanced down the aisle, and walking up toward me was my old friend, Dr. Toner. Standing up on my tiptoes and waving my hand, I called across, Bill! Oh, hey, Bill! He rushed toward me, his face a wreath of smiles. He grabbed my hand. Charlie Price, he said, well, hallelujah, glory to Jesus, praise the Lord. My jaw dropped. A look of amazement came over my face. Well, what? I stated, what has gotten into you? Got what, he inquired. Well, the hallelujahs, I declared. Yes, he said, I've got the hallelujahs and a whole lot more. As he spoke, a strange feeling seized my heart. I wanted to know more of this matter. So taking hold of his arm, I pulled him through the crowd, and when we were alone, I said to him, Come on now. Be honest with me. Tell me about this. What are you getting out of it? And what is this hallelujah business about? Looking into my eyes with a very serious expression, he said, Charles, this is for real. This little woman is right. This is the real gospel. I have been baptized with the Holy Ghost, and it's genuine, I tell you. It is what you need. 
it is what you need. In amazement, I gazed at him, and then I said, Do you mean to tell me that you, one of the leading Baptist preachers in the West, William Carey Toner, have actually swallowed this stuff? His eyes twinkled. Charles, he said, I have swallowed the pull, the line, the reel, the hook, the bait, and the sinker, and yet I am so hungry I am looking around for some more. Shouting, Thank God for the baptism! He shook my hand and he left me, promising to see me later. Pushing my way back through the crowd to get a place where I could see, I inadvertently stepped upon a man's toe. I looked into his face and he said, and I said to him, I beg your pardon. He just smiled back and said, Hallelujah! I expected that, I declared, and kept on going. Praises unto God were certainly in order around that tent, once again in good position to look over the crowd. Well, there was Ollie, my old Swedish usher. I was forced to remonstrate with him because of his dirty habit of chewing snuff. Ollie looked different to me. He was clean. There were no dark corners around his mouth. Ollie, I said, what are you doing here? He displayed a big red badge and he said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yes, I'm an usher. I said, well, where's this snuff, Ollie? Back he came at me with, Hallelujah, I've been saved. I've been healed. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been so full of glory, there ain't any room in me for snuff. His testimony brought a cry of, Hallelujah, and praise the Lord's from the people around, much to my embarrassment. The folks in the crowd were beginning to look in my direction. I asked Ollie, could you find me a seat? Promising him to stand where I was while he went in search for one for me. Ten minutes later, he came back. What a job, he said. What a job. But I got one for you. I followed him down the aisle, and to my amazement and embarrassment, he led me to the very front. Then, swinging around like a soldier, he led me all the way across the long altar, and then suddenly swinging into another left turn, he pointed out a chair that was empty in the section reserved for cripples. That is where I belonged. I didn't know it at the time. I was crippled in different places than they were. All the way down the aisle, I could hear people mentioning my name. My face turned red. One very good sister said in a very audible tone of voice, Praise the Lord! Here comes Dr. Price! I hope he gets something! I did. But that's another part of the story. It was not the sermon that convinced me that night half as much as it was the altar call. The altars were literally filled with people. It had been years and years since I had seen anything like that, and never in all of my life had I beheld so many people kneeling at one time before their Lord. They even put chairs in the aisles to accommodate the seekers. A man came to kneel by the chair next to mine. He was a garage mechanic. I knew him well, a wonderful worker, but a man of oaths and blasphemy. I could not help but hear him pray. 
Suddenly, in the midst of his intercession, a great change came over his face. He jumped to his feet and he shouted, Glory! Lifting his hands in the air, he commenced to praise God. Then he opened his eyes. I was the first man he saw, and I presume he thought that being a pastor, I ought to rejoice with him in the salvation that he had found. At the very top of his lungs, he shouted, Hallelujah! I'm saved! Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it glorious, Mr. Price? I tried to conceal my embarrassment because of the noise he was making and the emotions that he was showing. The best I could do was to say, Yes, brother, stick to it! Stick to it! And I got out of that tent as fast as I could. I did not sleep that night, though. In spirit, I was back in the old English home. In imagination, I was again behind the pulpit of the Lifeline mission where I was converted. Deep down in my heart, something told me that in recent years, I had been wrong. Not insincere just wrong what well, that is why i tossed carelessly through the wrong through the long night watches and no sleep came to give me relief the next night a masterful message came from the lips of the evangelist and my modernistic theology was punctured until it looked like a sieve Arriving at my hotel room, I threw myself down on my knees and I cried out to God. The heavens were black above me and no answer came. Yet in the sincerity of my heart, I promised God that I would change. I told him that I would preach the old-time gospel if only he would bless me and reveal himself to me. Oh, the agony of those moments. Oh, the intensity of those prayers. But the heavens were as brass. God would not answer. In my heart, I wanted the change to be gradual. I was afraid that the members of the church where I pastored might think that I'd been hypocritical and insincere. But God wanted it otherwise. And I'm glad today he closed the gates of heaven to my plea that night. He had a far more excellent way. You see, he had become a modernist. He had become a man who preached that a person could be saved in the midst of their sin without leaving their sin. But the old gospel message that he was raised in was Methodist, and that was that you could not be saved if you walked in sin. You had to repent and leave it, and you had to be holy, or you could not enter in. He writes, the following night I was early to the meeting. The place was crowded and I could not find a seat. Dr. Toner saw me wandering around, slipping his arm affectionately around me. He said, Charles, why do you not come with me to the platform? There's nothing to be ashamed of. Let us sit together tonight and enjoy the service. Up to that time, I'd refused to go near the platform, although I'd been invited on two occasions. I promised him I would go if he could find, if he could not find seats in the back of the sanctuary. We discovered two, but when we went to sit in them, we found Bibles there showing they belonged to someone else. So having gone onto the platform, I could not very well leave. 
that would have made me too conspicuous, so I had to sit in the front row. How marvelously that great audience sang. How wonderfully the great choir thundered out. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Every time they would say the word power, it was like a blow of a mighty hammer upon the anvil, such as my grandfather used to wield his by the forge in old England. All during the opening part of the service, I was conscious of God speaking to my heart. Then came the sermon. It was preached for me. Halfway through the message, I made up my mind that I was going to do something about this. I kept praying to God for strength to carry out my resolution. Finally, the message was over. It was the moment of the altar call. I can hear her now as she said, I want every man and woman in this audience who will say, Sister, I am a sinner and I need Jesus and I want you to pray for me. I want you to stand to your feet. Trembling, I stood. A hand was quickly put on my shoulder, and a voice of a prominent Presbyterian pastor sounded in my ear. Charles, she's calling for sinners. She's calling for people who need to be saved. I whispered back, I know it, and I kept on standing. Then came the rest of the invitation. Come down and kneel before the Lord. Come ye weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Down those steps I walked. I was in the act of kneeling at the altar when the glory of God broke over my soul. I didn't pray for it. I didn't have time to pray. Something burst within my heart. This was out of the range of psychology. <clears throat> this was not a, a reaction. This was real. And I threw up both of my hands and I shouted, Hallelujah! So overcome was I with joy, I commenced to run across the altar. Dr. Toner followed me and wept for joy. Then in an ecstasy of divine glory, I ran down the aisle to the back of the tent and back to the front shouting, I am saved. Hallelujah, I am saved. God was answering the prayer of a mother who had prayed many, many years before in a little English home. That night, the hand with the nail, the nail print in it guided me out onto a new road that would inspire me to preach the gospel to millions of people and send the printed word to practically every corner of the globe. After the great tent had been emptied that night, I went back to pray. It was so dark and silent, but I was rejoicing in the light that was in my heart. A half hour passed, and then I stood to my feet. Oh, Christ, I sobbed. Where you lead me, I will follow. I mean it. I mean it. Only go thou with me all the way. In the deep, deep center of my being, I was conscious of his presence. As I walked into the cool night air, he whispered, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name mine.
course of a few short days. Not only my outlook on life, my viewpoint, but my life itself had been totally transformed and changed. The burning, flaming fires of evangelism began to blaze up in my heart. The thing I desired more than anything else in the world was to win souls for Jesus, and through the corridors of my mind there marched the heralds of divine truth, carrying their banners, in which I could see Jesus saves, heaven is real, Christ lives today, until my whole heart became filled with the glory of his presence divine. But I was also conscious of the fact that these people with whom I had come in contact with had an experience that I had not yet experienced. They had something I didn't have. There was an indescribable something about their testimony, their prayers, their preaching that I lacked, even though I was filled with the joy of the Lord. What was it? Was it the baptism of the Holy Spirit? that the evangelist had spoken to me about in Spokane so many years before? Was it that experience that the Lord brought me all the way down from medicine had to receive, but I had rejected the Holy Spirit when I allowed a minister to influence my young life? Was God now giving me a second chance? I must confess to you that when I commenced to reason it out even then, I felt I could never go into a tarrying room to wait for the endowment with power. All reason, all logic, all of my own interpretation of Scripture, all of my old training in theology stood against it. In desperation, I called out unto the Lord, hands raised toward heaven. I prayed for the kindly light that would lead me through the gloom. The light came. The Lord then sent light through the darkness to Saul on the Damascus road. He did not refuse me. It was in my study at home by the side of my desk alone with God in the early hours of the morning that I made my final decision. I went back to San Jose. Arriving there, I immediately hunted up my old friend, Dr. Toner, I told him my story. He informed me that they were holding meetings every night called tarrying meetings for the specific purpose of waiting before God so that men and women might be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanted power. 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 Old time power. Holy Ghost power. Power to pray. Power to preach power to lead sinful men and women to the foot of the old rugged cross. So night after night found me tearing in the Baptist church. How tenderly God dealt with me, how sweetly he led me step by step, nearer and nearer to that glorious baptism. Hallelujah! I have to shout when I think about it. Hallelujah! I get so happy, I want to get baptized all over again. Some things did bother me. The noise, for instance. Why did people get so noisy? 
Why could they not pray quietly and with a dignity to which I had been accustomed? Why did they, oh, why did they fall over in such an undignified posture? They were under the power of God all over the building. The church was filled. The Sunday school room was filled. The vestries were filled. They were even praying in the kitchen. As I share this today, I want to say to you that Pastor Ray Greenley wants this power. And I am tearing before God. I'm tearing with some of you. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord is in our hearts. I know I have been filled with the joy of the Lord. I am trusting him. I was all morning praising his wonderful name. He said to me, wait upon the Lord. So I am waiting upon the Lord. I'm tearing before the Lord. I'm waiting upon him. He said, I'll carry you through. It's not something that I can do. It's not something you can do. It's something God has to do in you and in me. So I'm waiting on God. He also said, rest in me, Ray. And so I have ceased all my strivings. I'm waiting on God. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to come and wait with us for the power of the Holy Spirit, call me. I'll give you my phone number. It's my personal cell number. Don't call me if you want to argue with me. Don't call if you want to hassle me. I'll just hang up. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit, or if your life, you have not yet experienced the joy of the Lord, and you need that, and you want someone to pray with you, or you want to come and be a part of a people who are waiting for the power of God, who are who are resting in Jesus, then I'm going to give you a phone number. Jot it down. 703-489-1785. If your heart is cold and you know the Holy Spirit is calling you, you've been listening to this broadcast for how long? And yet you stubbornly resist the Holy Spirit. Don't. Don't do it anymore. I'm going to share with you now Dr. Price's story of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every time he does it differently, he's not going to do it this way with you, maybe. Maybe not. But he will come. It is for our day. Charles Price again. Dr. Charles Price started preaching in the in the early 30s, 1930s. Then came a glorious night. Shall I ever forget it? This is this is during the ministry of Amy Simple McPherson and the full power of God flowing at that time. 
He writes, Then came a glorious night. Shall I ever forget it? Never. Not in time. Not in eternity. Hallelujah. So on this night, happy night, oh, happy night, there was no room for me to pray in the church, so I made my way to the Sunday school room. (coughs) Pardon me. I found it crowded, too. Everybody was praying. I looked at them, and and then I looked at myself in my long-tailed Prince Albert coat, and I wondered why it was necessary for God to straighten people out on their backs like that. I didn't think it was necessary. I said to Mr. Toner, do I have to go down? He said, yes. I said, you told someone he didn't have to. It's this way, Charlie. You don't want to. Therefore, you will have to. I said, suppose I should tell the Lord I want to. He wouldn't believe you. You should be willing to let go and let him have his way with you. So into the Sunday school room I went. I saw so many people under the power. I began to be bothered again about the undignified position for a congregational pastor. I noticed the piano. There was a little space back of it. I made up my little private room. And when I thought I would not attract any attention, I got back of that piano and took the piano stool with me. I had room enough for me to kneel, but not room for me to fall over. I started to pray, and I prayed, and I prayed until I had lost all sense of time. About one o'clock in the morning, Dr. Toner came along with two deacons and started moving the piano. He looked at me and he said, What are you doing here? I said, I'm praying. He got hold of the tail of my coat with one hand and the back of my hand with the other, and he said, There's too much of this and too much of this. I said, I know what you mean. I felt so small. He said, Why don't you get out in the middle of the room where the people is, where the power is falling? Get where God is blessing people. Well, I got in the middle of the room, and there saw my prayer under the power the glory of God was upon her shaking her from head to foot and as I looked at her I said that's real and got on my knees with my elbows resting on a chair I must have prayed for a few minutes when I heard them singing have thine own way Lord yes Lord I've come to the place where I can say have thine own way if you want to put me on the on my back in the middle of the street amen Dr. Toner evidently decided I was getting in real earnest, so he started to pray. I raised my hands. That was the first time I'd done that. And I commenced to look up with my eyes closed. When my hands were up for a little while, I felt an electrical feeling starting from my fingers. And then it got to my arms, and my hands commenced to tingle. And I looked at them, and they were shaking, and I was surprised. I couldn't have stopped if I'd wanted to. And I wouldn't resist the Spirit. I said, All right, Lord. And by the time the glory waves got to my head, my head commenced to shake. 
and then down it came to my body, glorious and wonderful feelings, and suddenly I got a whole bolt of glory, and I felt myself suddenly going up. But I found I wasn't going up, I was going down, Prince Albert and everything, down on the floor. I commenced to praise God. Did you ever watch the waves of the ocean as they break and roll and break? Just a wave that breaks and then rolls back, and then another wave. Dr. Toner, who was praying to the Lord by my side, cried unto him, saying, Give him more. But I said, Brother Toner, if I get any more, it will kill me. He said, Oh, Lord, amen, kill him, Lord. I didn't understand that then, but I did later. He told me afterwards that was what was needed. The dear old preacher kept praying and praising, and after about twenty minutes of that, I sank into the depths of infinite peace, and I quietly prayed to the Lord. At that at that moment, a woman put her hand on me, and Dr. Toner said, No, don't do that. Leave him with him. Then my eyes closed. I seemed to be looking up into the dark, and suddenly, like a knife, there appeared in that awful dark a light, and it flashed like lightning across the heavens above my head. The heavens were split, and they commenced to fold up until I could see the glory of the light through the opening in the sky. And then I gazed in that beautiful light. A ball of fire came down toward me. Lower and lower it came until it got to the level of darkness on each side, and it began to shoot out darts of fire. When the ball came down a little lower, it shone so brilliantly it banished the darkness. After the darkness had been depleted, it hung there for about five minutes. I just watched, fascinated, entranced, those tongues of fire. Then the ball started down again, and when it got right above my head, I don't know how high, I remember the fire coming out faster and faster until the ball split and a tongue came straight down at me. Dr. Toner said, and the people around me corroborated that. From my lying down position, I jumped instinctively to get out of the way of that fire that was going to strike me. I didn't have time to think what it was. It touched me on the forehead, and I felt a quiver go through my body, and then my chest began to heave, and I started praising God. I actually thought my skin had been torn so great was the heaving of my chest a burning and yet no pain then suddenly he came the comforter arrived he was so glorious i knew at the moment he came in i felt him come i started to say glory but my tongue wouldn't form the word it was wobbling around in my mouth and i was unable to control it i was trying to say glory dr Sun. Dr. Toner said, don't resist, let him have his way. After a moment, I stammered out a few strange mutterings, and then, oh, glory to God, the Spirit himself took complete control. I knew every word I said. I was speaking in a language I'd never known before, and yet every word was as familiar as my own English. Dr. Toner knelt at my side and interpreted it. They told me, I spoke for thirty minutes, although it seemed but a short space of time. I rose to my feet. I was drunk on the wine of the Holy Spirit. I'd lost possession of my physical uh, facilities. Down I went. They lifted me up again, 
I fell the second time. Then they put me in a chair, and I sat there praising Jesus. Then I had a time of weeping, and then I got to my feet again and started around with my hands in the air from two o'clock in the morning until half past four, up and down the aisle, shouting loudly in the Sunday school room and the church, praising the Lord until the break of day. The Comforter had come. Back I went to my home church in Lodi, California. The following Sunday morning, the place was packed to the doors. The preliminary part of the service was cut short, for I was anxious to get to the message. I really expected to be dismissed from my pulpit. I never believed that those dear people who had been so kind and good to me would tolerate the type of preaching I was determined to give. I'd put my whole life before God upon the altar of consecration. And I cared not much what should happen to me. To be perfectly frank, I expected to have to open a little mission in the city of San Francisco. And during the time I was waiting upon the Lord for the blessed Holy Spirit, the Lord had shown me a little mission hall with its plain wooden seats, and he asked me whether or not I was willing to say goodbye to my ambitions and all my plans and accept that little church. With all my heart, I cried, Yes, Lord. And I meant it. But the Lord had greater and better plans for me. So it was I. So it was I ministered that Sunday morning to the people of my home church. How easy it was to preach. The glory of God flowed like a river until it until I could hardly speak for the sobbing of my people. As long as I am pastor, I said, you will hear one burning message from this pulpit, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I shall not refrain from giving you the story of the cross and saving, cleansing power of the blood of Calvary's Lamb. At the conclusion of the sermon, I gave an altar call. And to my utter amazement, over 80 people knelt at that altar. My own church people were hungry for more of God. We commenced a whole tearing meetings and multiplied the number of prayer services. The power of God commenced to fall. The prayer meetings grew from an attendance of 100 to 300, then to 500, climbing steadily. They reached the 1,000 mark, and the church auditorium and the Sunday school rooms were filled with praying people. Instead of closing at half past nine, as had been our custom in the old days, the meetings would run on until the early hours of the morning. We were obligated to move the tearing meetings out of the church into the home and outbuildings of A.B. Forrester, the dear brother whose influence had been so greatly felt in my life. People came from neighboring cities. Ministers came from a far distance, as far away as a hundred miles regularly, every night to attend these meetings. At the present time, I'd never seen anything like it, except in those meetings of Amy Simple McPherson. He then organized the Lodi Gospel Team. It soon grew until it had pretty close to a thousand members. It was organized for the purpose of holding street meetings. Once every week we would meet under the Lodi Arch and led by the Salvation Army Band from Stockton conduct meetings in our own hometown. 
Every Friday night, hundreds and hundreds of people would meet at the church with signs on the back of their automobiles reading, Lodi Gospel Team. A parade would start to some nearby city. More than once, I've seen the march straight out more than two miles long. Automobiles of all kinds and sizes, trucks, carrying a happy singing band of people to testify for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that these were congregational people whose numbers had been increased by recruits from most of the other churches in town. We did not proselytize. All we were after was the preaching of the gospel to the hearts of hungry men and women. Spiritual enthusiasm ran so high that there were occasions when school children would break out in the singing of hymns. Little groups of spirit-filled children would meet in the schoolyard and hold testimony services. The whole city was feeling the power of the revival. It was not until high church authorities commenced to interfere that we felt led of the Lord to organize a separate and independent church. The glory of the Lord that had been with us in the old building accompanied the dear people who crowded into the new one. Many years have passed since then, but those precious people to whom I used to minister are still standing for the old truth and worship God in Bethel Temple dedicated to the preaching of the full gospel. Wow. Hallelujah. Praise God for the story of Charles Pierce. I have to ask you today, do you need more of Jesus? Are you satisfied with your life in Christ? Where's your heart? Is it dead? Is it cynical? Have you been touched by the wickedness of the modern church and the sinning church, sinning Christian doctrine? Do you desire, as I do, the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit? I wish I knew where they were holding these kinds of tearing meetings and where the true presence of the Holy Spirit was, but the Lord has not told me to go there. He's told me simply, wait upon the Lord, and the Lord will carry you through. So I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm resting in Jesus. I'm waiting for the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim his gospel and turn this city upside down for Jesus. Not just me, but you also, pastors, preachers, who are sick of bringing into their churches worldly entertainment and the ways of darkness, the cynicism of our age. Church is not a business. It's the body of Jesus Christ. It's real. He's real. He loves you. He died on Calvary for you. He was resurrected from that tomb so that you too can be resurrected and live a new life in Christ Jesus. I hope your heart's been warmed by this message today. Mine has been. Hallelujah. Jesus is everything. 
He is everything. We're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. If you want to call me, if the Holy Spirit prompts you, call me at 703-489-1785. Now, I do want to tell you, this radio broadcast costs a lot of money every day. And at the end of the month, the end of every month, I have to have the money to be able to pay in order to continue next month. We go month to month. Right now, we are $1,630 short of having the money to pay for the month of April. I praise God for two who just sent money. I praise God for others this month who have helped cover almost $4,000. There is a pledge outstanding and that pledge I've included. So after that pledge comes in, and it will come in, it's a godly man who's made that pledge, we will still be $1,630 short. I don't want next week to have to do offertories. I will. I will humble my heart before the Lord and wait on Him. But would you step in now? Every dollar you give will go to help pay for this radio broadcast. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again and all the others. I pray God's powerful Holy Spirit has touched you today. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Blameless before the presence of his glory.